Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 39. And uh, good news, we're almost to the end of Exodus, and it's uh, been an exciting journey, I hope, for you and certainly for me. Uh, The last part of Exodus, we have been talking about the tabernacle, and this is really God's big missional theme in the book of Exodus, is he's leading his people to build the tabernacle, which is his house. It's going to be where he will dwell with his people, right in the middle of their camp. And it was going to be a kind of a mobile home, if you will, because it was going to be transported to different places, wherever the people went, so the tabernacle would go. So it had to be built where it could be moved. And so what we're going to see today is... um, God leading the people to get this building project kind of completed. Let me just share a few thoughts of how this has come together through the last 15 chapters of Exodus. What we have here is God, who is kind of the grand architect of this vision for his own house. He shares his vision of the tabernacle with Moses. Remember, Moses has at least eight different ascents up Mount Sinai, starting in Exodus 19 and continuing. And so on several of those, God speaks to him specifically about this house. Well, then Moses takes God's vision and with all of its specifications, and he shares it with two craftsman extraordinaire. You might remember these guys. We talked about them a few weeks ago. Their names are Bezalel and Oholiab, gifted craftsmen. And uh, he shares the vision uh, of building this, this house for God. Then Bezalel and Oholiab then teach other skilled workers. They gather a team and they teach them how to join them in this construction project of the tabernacle. Then the craftsmen use donated supplies brought by the Israelites to construct the furniture and the furnishings for the tabernacle. So they're, they're using what the Israelites brought from Egypt. All of these supplies came from the people. And then when everything is completed, the craftsmen bring the furniture and the furnishings of the tabernacle to Moses for inspection. It seems like all good building projects start with a vision and they end with an inspection. And so that's what we're going to read about today. If you look in Exodus 39, I'm going to just read the text. It starts in verse 32 and continues through verse 43. 
And I want you just to kind of listen along as we go through this part of the story. It says, so all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was completed. Past tense, completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishing, its clasps, its frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the covering of ram skins dyed red and the covering of another durable leather, and the shielding curtain, the Ark of the Covenant law with its poles and the atonement cover, the table with all of its articles and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand, its row of lamps and all its accessories, all the olive oil for the light, the gold altar and the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with the bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its post bases, And then the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and the tent pegs for all the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And then also the woven garments worn for those ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments for his sons when serving as priest. And the Israelites had done all the work when they had done all the work, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Well, as we begin to think about this part of the story, I want us to, to kind of revisit what was actually made. We do need to understand that the tabernacle at this point in the narrative was not yet set up, but all of the furnishings were ready and all of the furniture was ready. So I'm going to just kind of show some of the pictures that we've looked at before, but I think pictures are worth a thousand words here. So let's start with in verse 33, it says the clasps, the frames, the post and the bases. Now, of course, this is already set up, but you see all of the post here. And this would have gone for 50 yards one direction, 25 yards another direction. It made the courtyard. And so there were tons of posts and frames and bases and all the clasps and things that it took to put this uh, together. Also in verse 34, it said they had coverings of ram skins and also of other leather skins. There are actually three coverings for the tabernacle itself. We're told earlier, goat skins, and then a covering of this ram skin dyed red, and then some kind of leather, probably calf skins, went on top of that. Pretty extensive work to put these skins together. Then we have in verse 34, it says the shielding curtain. Well, that was actually the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. You see... Uh, an artist's rendition of this curtain. We're told in a, a Hebrew commentary later on that this curtain was a hand width wide. That would be about four to five inches wide, a very thick curtain indeed. Then we have the main part of the whole tabernacle, the main piece of furniture told in verse 35, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. This chest, this four foot by three foot chest with poles and the atonement cover was on top. You see those cherubim, those 
angels that uh, were carved into that and are looking over the atonement cover. Then in verse 36, it says the table of showbread. And this was the bread that was, was on this table uh, for uh, six days a week. But on the Sabbath, the priest would actually eat the bread and they would bring new bread, freshly break, uh, baked bread. And there were 12 loaves of that bread, each representing one of the 12 tribes. You have the golden lampstand. That was the only light source inside of the tabernacle. And it had seven lampstands that went with it. Then you had the olive oil that had to be just right. The precious, perfect, uh, pure olive oil was what was used. You have the altar of incense with all of its fragrant offerings that were right in front of the, the, um, the curtain, the shielding curtain. You have the curtain for the entrance to the tent. And we're told about the specific colors that needed to be used for this particular curtain. Now, we don't know. This is just an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like. We don't know exactly how these colors were woven into the fabric, but we know what the colors were. They were white, which we believe stood for purity. They were blue, which stood for heaven. They were purple, which stood for royalty. And then they were crimson, that stood for sacrifice, blood sacrifice. So we know the colors, and then we know that the curtain uh, for the entrance was made of these colors. And the, by the way, the tent always would be set up facing east. Then we also see the bronze altar in verse 39 is mentioned. And this is the altar where all of the sacrifices took place. It was a seven and a half foot square altar, had the poles for them to be able to transport it. This is where all of the burnt offerings uh, were, were offered to the Lord out in the courtyard of the tabernacle. Then you have the wash basin, sometimes called a laver. And this is where the priest would wash their hands and their feet before they made an offering, before they offered a sacrifice to the Lord or before they entered into the actual uh, tabernacle itself. Then we had curtains, verse 40 says, curtains for the courtyard with posts. These were the, the fabric fence that was made all the way around. Then you also have the entrance, which you see right here. This is where the people would bring their animals when they were ready to make a sacrifice. And the priest would meet them at this entrance and they would bring them into the courtyard to the bronze altar and then they would, uh, they would actually assist the priest in killing the animal and then allowing it to be sacrificed for the Lord. Then we also see ropes and tent pegs are mentioned in verse 40. You can imagine all of the different ropes and tent pegs that it took for this to, this, this to, to take place. And then we see also there were garments, verse 41, garments for the regular priest. This is just a picture of the regular priest. These would have been Aaron's sons, and they likely wore white tunics uh, with colorful hats. You see this group of uh, priests working at the altar with the sacrifices. And then the high priest, Aaron, had his own garments, and we have this this blue ephod that was over his white robe. And then you also have the breastplate, which had the 12 gemstones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. It had onyx stones on the shoulders, 
six tribes on one shoulder, six tribes engraved on the other. And then you see his headband. And on the right, he had it inscribed on the top there uh, on the bronze. It would have said, holy to the Lord. So this is what these guys were working on. All of these craftsmen, all of the artisans that came together to help them, this is what they were building. And they brought all of these furnishings and the furniture before Moses for this inspection. You know, as I think about this, I think about, first of all, God, the grand architect. He's the the client, if you will. He has the vision And then he gives this to his assistant architect, Moses, who's given all of the specifications. And I don't know, perhaps he even sketched it out uh, on on some of the the Egyptian papyrus, the paper that might have been available then. And uh, he then takes it down and shows the craftsman and the process then begins. So as we think about this and all of the, um, the architect that was, or architecture that was involved, I thought it would be good for us maybe to hear from one of our own resident architects. And we actually have in our church a man who qualifies. His name is Kent Taylor. And I'm going to invite Kent to come forward here and uh, just do a little interview as we think about this story from an architect's perspective. So Kent, thank you for being willing to to join us today. I get to be Oprah Winfrey here and Kent can be himself. (laughs) That's right, you'll get a car. Kent, by the way, uh, is married to Amy. They've been married for over 41 years. uh, They've been a member of Calvary almost that long. And, um, and Kent has served as an architect for over 42 years, and most recently in Baptist Health Services. So, right. so anyway, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Yeah. So you've heard this story numerous times. I know you've read through it even recently thinking about this. It's more amazing every time. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's just start by letting you just share, share your perspective. What are just a few thoughts, kind of big thoughts as you, you look at this story and you think about what was involved in the process and so forth? The, the, as I've read it and read it, I think God put images or designs in Moses' head and probably into some of the, the craftsmen. And they had to figure out how to translate that vision into something they could build or stitch or weave. Um, and... I think probably the ancients were better at this than we are about remembering from the spoken word, uh, but they may have used models and things like that. It would have been challenging out in the middle of the desert, how do we do all this stuff? Now, I, I think you remember when they, they were in Egypt for 400 years, and probably some of them, the, the, the Egyptians had all the skills to make these things, Beautiful work. I've seen quite a bit of it. Um, And I'm sure some of the Israelites had these skills. And remember when they left, that the people of Egypt just gave them all kinds of gifts or they took them. I mean, they said they just like 
take this, get out of here. And uh, so maybe they took, brought tools with them, but still the quantity of materials is amazing. Mm. That's a challenge for us today, believe it or not. You know, you've heard of supply chain issues. There they had no supply chain. They had what they brought with them. So it was marvelous, like the... Um, one of the tables was specifically given by the ladies that guarded the entrance to the tabernacle. Uh, they gave them all their mirrors, uh, you know, things like that. But how did they come up with the looms? Did they carry a loom with them to weave the fabrics? I don't know, but it would have, it would have been a challenge. But I think in many ways, what they did were the same things we would do now, the same steps, gather a team, Put up some tents as the project site because you have to you have to prepare a lot of things probably out of the sun um, and kind of follow the same sort of steps that we do today in in creating a project. Well, yeah, there's no doubt this was this was a very challenging job just yeah. based on the on the setting. Plus, they're I mean they're building not just anybody's house here, right? This is God's house. Right. There's probably a little extra pressure. Desert environment, you mentioned the tools, you know. Um, how did they pull it off? I think, you know, one of the elements we prayed for a little while ago was God's direction in missions that we focus uh, find what he wants us to focus on and to to do that um, in an organized way. And I think that they had, there were two main elements, is, is you had a people who were willing. In fact, that's what the scripture says, is that they often, they selected the people who were willing. And people who are willing to spend their time and willing to give their uh, treasures that they carried however long from from Egypt, and they organized it. Um, the two craftsmen get, said God gave them the ability to teach others. Mm. And the, the artistry, if you really go back and read it and think about it, the detail that went into that was incredible. Um, like all those little gemstones were carved. Um, so I think God gave Moses the vision in detail. I think he put it in some of these other people as well. And then they, whether with words or quite, the, the Egyptians were great model builders. And I'm sure the, Egypt, the Israelites learned from them. They probably made models of some parts of it. Mm. I still don't know where they came up with all the wood though. In the middle of the desert, maybe it was people donating tent poles, their tent poles. I, I don't know. It's, but it, yeah. it was, I think, you had a plan and you worked the plan. You, yeah. you just took it step by step by step, yeah. but you had to have willingness and generosity and God's direction. Amen. Amen. Well, if we get to the end and they have this inspection. Yeah. And I imagine you as an architect have been part of numerous inspections. Many, many right? times. Is that sometimes a pretty nervous moment when you're, we're kind of at this point? Um, Not so much the nervousness when I'm going to look at the, at the project because 
um, people are reporting and responsible to me. Uh, it may be nervous for them. Yeah. <laughs> but when it is, but when it's a little nervous to me is when I present it to my client. Yes. And, and that's that's when uh, I'm hoping that they're going to be full of joy and appreciation yeah. and happiness. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, let me tell you a story that I've, I think I've shared with my Sunday school class. It's a good lesson for me. So just about exactly um, 11 years ago in 2012, we had the uh, completion and the grand opening of the South Wing at Children's Hospital, which was a, a very large building, four stories, penthouse, basement um, and with several departments of the hospital starting with the emergency department and going up and it and had a rooftop um, in the middle courtyard with a playground and a garden so we had in the morning the big ribbon cutting you know and I'm standing there with the with the president of the hospital and the chairman of the board and the governor and everyone else and we're cutting the ribbon and you know getting lots of good praise and then that night we had a reception and a dinner and a tour through the through the building and it was all ready for patients and you know i it is beautiful if i may say so today um, <laughs> it has been enduring um, and I got lots of, lots of praise. And I had had to park kind of remotely. When we were leaving, I went to go get the car. And I had to walk around the corner and the, the Dr. Bates and Dr. Bates, the, the chairman, the president of the hospital and, and his wife were pulling out and they stopped and rolled down the window. And, just heaped praise on me. And, and, you know, Kent had gotten the big head by now. <laughs> and I got to my car and pulled around the corner, stopped at the stop sign, and I was looking up at the existing uh, cardiovascular ICU. And I saw all the lights were on, and in virtually every room there were parents leaning back against the glass while someone was working on their child, sometimes adults, um, it's shift change. And then it hit me, bam, that the reason I was doing this was not to keep praise on Kent, but was to care for, for people at their most vulnerable and their most, most difficult time. Mm -hmm. So the, the challenge is when you do something like that, to never forget one, that Almost always, you're just one member of a team. There's many people that helped you get to this point. And two, who are you doing it for and why are you doing it? Amen. And that that's the real purpose for what we're, what we're doing. Amen. Great story. Please express your appreciation with me if you can. Thank you. Well, I think that's a great kind of uh, fitting into our, uh, to our interview here. As we look at the story, it, it was all about God. When it's all about God, 
and we as his people surrender to his will and are obedient to what he calls us to do and are committed to what he wants, not what we want, then it's going to work out just the way God wants it to. He's going to provide the resources and his spirit to guide us. And in the end, we see that God um, led Moses to bless the people. Everything came together just like they were supposed to. Moses inspected the work and saw that what they had done just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. You know, blessing is what is really the end of the story. Starts with a vision, ends with an inspection. But in this case, for God's people, there's always a blessing when we are obedient to accomplish his will. What does it mean to be blessed? It means a lot. If you read through scripture, blessing is really um, a sign of spiritual prosperity. It's a sign of God's protection, God's provision, which is always abundant, God's amazing grace that's part of these things that we do. It's all because of God's presence. And when God is present, his power is always released in, upon his people and into our circumstances and our needs. And so as I think about this today, that's really the, the application. When we are obedient to doing what God wants us to do, and we are committed to accomplishing his will, when that happens, God smiles upon us. He gives us his blessing. We don't know exactly what Moses said to the people. It was really a prayer over the people. It's probably pretty succinct, probably fairly short. We don't know what it was, but we do have, I think, a, a pretty good indication from some other blessings in scripture. The most famous blessing comes from Numbers chapter six. And this is a blessing that Aaron gave to the people. And I want you just to, to begin to think about this prayerfully. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. That means the Lord is going to protect you. It's going to provide abundantly for you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. That means God's presence is with you and his favor is upon you and his grace is abundant more than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine, more than we deserve. And may the Lord make his face turn toward you. He's smiling at us and he then gives us peace. You know, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about the absence of turmoil, but simply the presence of God in the midst of turmoil. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you right now, with whatever you're going through, whatever hardships, whatever challenges, whatever struggles, if he is for you, who can be against you? Walk in faith, be faithful. Be obedient. 
Let him accomplish his will, even through your hardship and suffering and struggles. And you can be assured in the end, he will bless you. There may be some here today that are not yet believers. You know, blessing is really only for those who are in the faith, the faith family can only experience it fully as believers. I want to just encourage you today. I think today, if you're here, it's my prayer that you would make this day your day of salvation. It's really a pretty simple process with profound implications. Simply need to admit that you're a sinner, understand that your sin has separated you from your creator, your holy God. And uh, you need to admit that to him and understand that he did something about it in our behalf. And what did he do? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth. And he was fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life among us. He died a sacrificial death for us, died in our place, took our sin upon himself, our punishment, And then he was buried in a tomb, but three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he could give life. He could deliver on his promise to give life abundant and eternal to all of his followers because he is very much alive today. And he offers to us the opportunity to become part of his family through faith. And that's really what the commitment is. Simply a heartfelt commitment to say, Lord, I believe. I believe what the Bible says about you. I understand I'm a sinner and I'm ready to give my life completely and totally to you. To be not just my Savior, but my Lord. When you make that decision, as many folks here have made it, that is a total game changer. And the presence of God will become very real for you because God says he will place his spirit, not just with us, but within us. God will come to live within us too. And when that happens, we are blessed. I want you to bow your heads and receive this blessing right here, right now from the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 1115. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.